me that, that <clears throat> I really had to, to look at. I had to read a little bit more and, and figure out what was going on here. Okay, so, so Jesus comes up to this pool, and according to the scripture, the pool, there's, there's, um, there's people around the pool. In fact, it says, how many porches are around this pool? Five. And it says that um, Jesus comes up to this guy and says, do you want to get well? And he says, I can't. For when the water bubbles up, someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, that tells us uh, something. If he's there and the water bubbles, remember that the, the story is the angel stirs the water. Whoever gets into the water first uh, is healed. Now, again, we've talked about all this. We don't have to do this all again tonight. But probably, since angels don't heal, it probably was God doing this and they were understanding this or seeing this as an angel. But either way, the water stirred and apparently people are really healed or they wouldn't still be there. They wouldn't be hanging out there. Um, they would be somewhere else. But the water stirred, whoever gets into the water first uh, is healed, okay? Now, when he says that he's been there for, th or for 38 years and has not been able to get into the water, at least he's been sick for 38 years. We don't know how long he was actually at the water. But he's been there for a while, and he can't get into the water because somebody else gets in ahead of him or he doesn't have somebody to put him in. A, um, somebody else gets ahead. What does that tell us? Yeah, well, it's because he's paralyzed. So, um, <clears throat> so there's that. <laughs> um, so, let's say let's say there was two people there, one person and him. Water stirs. The other person gets in. They're healed. When the water stirs next, he would be healed. Correct? Because he could just get in. There's nobody else there. So that tells us what. There's other people there. There's uh, potentially a lot of other people, depending on how you look at the 38 years, whether he's been there for 38 years. Um, we know he's been paralyzed for 38 years. Th this is what I think is potentially happening here. He's 38 years old. He's been paralyzed since birth. I mean, we don't see anything that would, that would say that he had something happening, got there later or something like that. And then apparently he's been there probably for 38 years. Although that one might be a little iffy because we don't know how long this has been happening. But at least, at least for a, a, a time period, an extended time period, he's been there trying to get in the water. And the reason he can't get in the water is because there's other people there, not just he can't get himself into the water. If there was nobody else there, eventually he could, you know, roll, fall something into the water. And at that point, you really hope the healing thing really works because he's paralyzed. So... All right, so then Jesus comes up and says, Stan, uh, do you want to get well? And he gives all the reasons why he can't. And we've talked about that a lot, okay? So, so here's where I want to get to with this. Jesus comes up to, because I, I, I have heard people, um, not, not in churches and things like this, this is all in seminary, where people are really, in seminary, they'll take one sentence and, and, and cut that up for weeks ad nauseum. It's, it's really, sometimes you just go, really? Is there that much in this sentence, right? But so I've heard this 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 particular part of scripture being used for something that I think is not correct, and this is what it is, and this is this is why I think it's not correct because I had this same thought years ago, and I began to investigate it. Jesus walks up. There's all kinds of people that are sick that need healing all over the place in these five porches, and the pool is right there, and when the water stirs, somebody jumps in. And they get healed, and whoo, go on their way. Jesus comes up to all of this crowd of people, walks up to one guy, and says, do you want to get well? Now, this is the way I used to look at this story. They have the conversation, they go through the scripture, and then Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. The guy is healed, he stands up, um, and, and he, from that moment on, everything got a little muddy for me because I didn't know for sure what to do with all of the information or what information was there and what information does not appear to be there, okay? It says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, okay? But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. When you get to that sentence, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. What we're seeing is that we're seeing a quick timeline running down. We're no longer standing at that pool, according to these sentences. All right? Follow me on this. 
But the miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. Well, how would we know they objected? It says it, it says it, but how? Yeah, I'm not asking that question right. Yeah, because it says it. Correct answer. How do, how, what would, what, give me the, the scenario that the Jewish leaders would be objecting to this. Not the fact that it's on the Sabbath, but how do they even know that this has happened? How do the Jewish leaders know that it happened? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, that's that's the next that's the next part of the story. But 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 Jesus heals the guy and then we see where they object and there's a bunch of reasons because there's false messiahs because they're losing their power. If this Jesus guy is the real deal, they're slowly losing their power. There's a lot of reasons why, but there's something in between. This guy gets healed, the Jewish leaders object. How do they know that he is healed? Right. Well, we do know it's not too long because he talks to Jesus. I haven't got to that part, but he talks to Jesus just a, a couple days later, okay, and talks to Jesus about this. You, you guys, as soon as I start saying it, you're going to know the answer. But you're, you're not there yet. <laughs> How do they know? He's, they're not standing at the pool. They could care less who this guy is. Why did he go to the temple? Ah, now you guys are getting there. When Jesus heals this guy, he has to go declare to the Jewish leadership that he's clean right? That he's healed. He has to declare that. I know for us, we're like, what? But that was the law. He had to go. If he was, regardless of what he's healed from, whatever, he has to go declare to the leadership. And we see where this happens a few times where Jesus tells him to go and declare. That's, that little part right there threw me off for so many years because I never put that together. Now you say, why does it matter? This is why it matters to me. It may not matter to you, but it matters to me. This is what it looks like to me originally what had happened here. Jesus walks up to the pool, walks straight up to this one guy, heals him. Him and this guy get all excited and leave. I have a problem with that. What's my problem? Patty? Right. That's, that was my problem. For years, that was my problem with this story. We know this is a true story. We know that Jesus did this stuff. We know this guy was healed. He goes to the, to the Jewish leadership. But I didn't connect in my head that when Jesus heals him, he picks up his mat, and immediately it says he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. What he did is he got up and found the Jew, immediately went to the Jewish leaders. Because at that point, you've been laying there for 38 years. You've been an invalid for 38 years. You can't move for 38 years. What's the first thing you want to do? Go find your family. Go tell your friends. Go, I mean, there's people in your life that you want them to know this. At, at that particular moment, what I think we're seeing happen here is he get up, gets up and immediately takes off to the Jewish leadership and leaves Ju Jesus standing there. Now, here, here's again what Patty said was my issue with this for years was, Jesus, how could you walk up and heal this one guy and not heal anybody else? Okay, so um, who's got Bibles? I want to give you some scriptures, and we're going we're gonna to read these. Okay, start over here. Who's got a Bible over here? Rick? Um, Matthew 4.23. One of you two do? Rena? Matthew 9.35. I can't see which of the Martin boys in the back. 
All of you? Okay, uh, Matthew 8, 16. Um, Corey, Matthew 7, 8. Pat, do you have a Bible or Patty bring yours? Okay. Matthew 14, 14. Either one of you two have a Bible? Okay. That looks like it came out from the chair. Matthew 15, 30. <laughs> okay. Uh, Matthew 19, 2. You have one also? Um, which one you got Matthew 19? You got Matthew 19, 2. Okay, and Donna, you take 21, 14. Okay, is that good? Sergio, you got Bible on you? Mark 1, 34. You, you notice Sergio's wearing his Dodgers hat. Just to rub it in. I'm, I'm cheering for the Dodgers. I'm cheering. I'm not... I, I, I was from Texas. You are not watching, but are you recording it? Oh, okay. I recorded it. You can come to my house today. Oh, you're watching on your phone? <laughs> you're keeping up? <laughs> Why don't you shut up? How about that? <laughs> Mark 134. Uh, for you? Uh, Matthew nineteen two. Donna, yours was twenty one fourteen. Okay. Well, I, see, I grew up in Dallas, so I was a Rangers fan. The, the Astros were the enemy. She's all from her family's all from Houston, so I have to cheer for the Dodgers. Although I don't like the Dodgers, I have to cheer for the Dodgers because they're our division. They're they're the they're not they are the enemy, but not as bad as okay. So, uh, Linda, you have a Bible. Luke four forty. Isaac, do you have a Bible? Can you, can you use one hand to do this? Luke 7, 21. Paul? Mark 14, 36. I cannot see who's behind you. You don't? I, you not, don't want to? You sound froggy, is that what you're saying? What did I just tell you, Paul? Okay, Mike? Mike, Mark 6, 56. Scott, you got a Bible? Mark 3.10. And who's left? Who, who's got? Anna, you got one? Luke 6.19. Now, we're going to go through and read these um, quickly. There's a lot of them, but they're, they're, they're just one verses. We're going to go through and read them quickly. And when we get to the end of this, we're going we're gonna to make some... Um, going to come up with some conclusions on this. Yes, we're going to observations for this. Okay, so Rick, go ahead. Whatever order, the best you can. If you get out of order, it don't matter. What did I tell you? I'm sorry, Matthew 14:36. We'll come back to you. Matthew 14:36.
Who was, who was else? Mike, is it you? Okay, this is not all the places in the New Testament where Jesus healed somebody. In fact, it's actually a, a small handful of places that Jesus healed somebody. But there's a theme. Hopefully everybody's recognizing. What's the theme? Healed everybody. He healed all. Even, even when it says great crowds and he healed them, that means all of them. It doesn't mean some of them. It means all of them. It's amazing how many places... That, he, that, he, that it specifically says that he healed all. And some of these places are in Jerusalem. Many of these places are in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, let's, let me read the rest of this and, and kind of show you something that I kind of processed and unpacked over time. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking away. Just took off. Okay? But the miracle happened on the Sabbath, so... The Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Isn't it, isn't it crazy how religion comes up with some of the stupidest things? You can't heal somebody? This is, the, this is if we want to use the term religion, this is the religion about God, the creator of everything, the provider and the healer of everything. And Jesus, God in human flesh, heals this guy on the Sabbath. You, this is one of the weird things. You've seen me do this before, where what happens in the New Testament, we take it and actually reverse it and do the exact opposite. They say, well, I guess you could be healed at other times, but you can't be healed on the Sabbath because you would have to carry your mat, and that's working, and that's wrong. In the modern church today, we say the only place you can be healed is on the Sabbath, and it's probably got to be in a church, right? I mean, isn't that, our, isn't that the philosophy of the church? You've got to be in a church building because God's got to be there, and, and then you've got to have a special pastor, a special anointed guy, way more anointed than me, and have them pray for you, and then you'll get healed. It's got to be in a church on the Sabbath, and you'll get healed. And they're upset because it actually happened on the Sabbath, God's day. It's kind of weird how the church comes up with some of the craziest rules. And, and by the way, the, I think it's just as crazy when they say, well, you can't be healed on the Sabbath. I think it's just as crazy that we say today that the way, the place that God has to do things is in a church, which is not where we see most of where God doing stuff in the New Testament. It didn't happen in a church, and it, and it didn't happen on a Sabbath. In fact, when it did, it got attention. Most of it just happened. People's work and home and community and whatever. So you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. This is one of the clues that helped me understand the bigger picture of this. They said, who told you this? Verse 13, the man didn't know. That, to me, that's the key right there. When Jesus said, take up your mat and walk, he did. He didn't, even, he didn't even turn around and say, what's your name? He spent no more time there. Boom, he's out of there. Goes and tells the Jewish leaders. They get upset, and now he, they're saying, who is this guy? Well, I don't know. I didn't ask him his name. Now, again, I really struggled with Jesus walks up to this pool. He heals one person. And, and I thought, well, then he walks away because it says, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, stop sinning, something worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus, because <laughs> he's a faithful idiot. So he, he goes and tells them it's Jesus. He doesn't, he's not seeing this as a negative thing or whatever. I, I'm sure he doesn't even recognize that Jesus is going to be in trouble or something like that. But, but what he does know is that Jesus is the guy that healed him. I think, I think there was uh, other people at the, 
at the pool that knew who it was. I think there were people that immediately when they heard it, they knew exactly who it was. And I think this Jewish leadership knew immediately who it was. Because they were, they were scared to death of Jesus. Jesus is coming in and messing with everything, messing with their religion, messing with the way that, that, that they look at God, messing with the way that they look at each other, messing with their authority and power. Remember, the church leadership liked at that time and, and to, to, to this very day, the church leadership loves to, to have control. The, the, the church is always building controls and bureaucracies and controls. That's why I, I hear people nowadays that will say things like, well, I don't like denominations. And, and I get that. To a great extent, I get that. Because denominations, there is some positives. There is a covering. I, I am ordained with the Assemblies of God. That means that when this church was looking for a pastor, when, when I sent my resume and it said ordained with the Assemblies of God, this church leadership immediately knew to, to some basic extent what my theological beliefs were. And, and the Assemblies of God are one of the best about staying pretty consistent with that compared to a lot of other groups out there. Uh, like Vineyard, you can literally be from almost any denominational background and believe almost anything as long as you believe like the four main things of church mentality. Um, but, but So there's some good things with this. But one of the bad things that comes along with, with fellowships, ours is a fellowship, it's not a denomination, but fellowships and denominations and things like that is there's also controls and bureaucracies and authority and power and, and centralized places for money and stuff like that that are really hindrances for the church. They're hindrances for the kingdom of God. They're hindrances for us to be able just to say, let's do what God has told us to do and tell people about Jesus and, and their stuff. And that's the same thing with this. These guys were scared to death of Jesus. They, they, they didn't want him coming up and messing up what they were doing. This is the part that really doesn't connect in my head. I understand it cognitively, but I don't understand it on a, on a real soul level or spiritual level. These guys are supposedly the connection between God and humanity. The, the priesthood, the leaders, they're supposedly the voice, the, the guys that are breaking down Scripture and helping other people understand, the teachers and all this other stuff. And when Jesus does something that we know is a God thing, they resist it and they reject it. It, it, that, that, that just doesn't connect with me. I don't understand why that, that, they, that happens, Patty. Right, because they had come up with all their rules. There's no way when, when, when God says to Moses to write this down on the Ten Commandments, or when God writes it down on the Ten Commandments and gives it to Moses, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, there's no way he meant don't do God stuff on the Sabbath. There's no way he meant that. It took them a, a couple thousand years plus, and they finally come to the conclusion that, well, you shouldn't do anything on the Sabbath. In fact, it, remember one of the arguments Jesus has with them? It says if your donkey falls in a ditch, you're just going to leave it there until the day after the Sabbath? No, you're going to go get your donkey out of a ditch. Well, that's called working, you hypocrite. Right? But it's weird how we come up with these rules and these ideas. Now, here's one that, that, that I think fits into all of this. I, I'm sorry, Corey, did you have something? Yeah, it may. I, I, think, I think potentially the bigger issue here is you've got to think about the control and the, the fear that the, that the uh, Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, the Jewish church council um, had over these people. These people were scared to death. The fact that they had the ability to potentially put Jesus in jail, and really what they did is ended up killing him over this stuff. When they've got that kind of power, when you're just some guy, you go tell them. You, you got nothing. I mean, th this is one of the cool things I, I, I just, I'm amazed with Jesus is how bold and confrontational he was in such a, uh, a, a loving, passive, graceful way. He would get up in your face and resist all of the stuff, but he did it from a, a I love you, I'm not here to hurt you kind of mentality. He's got both of this going on all the time. He would stand up in the middle of the temple and say things. Like when he unrolls a scroll and he goes to Isaiah and he says, this is me. It's, um, that, that, um, uh, what, is this, what is the, yeah, this scripture is fulfilled. What is the scripture he's talking about, though, in Isaiah? Yes. 
and he's anointed me to preach the gospel. And, and he stands up and says, right now, boom, me. That's me. You can't get any more bold than that. You would get put in jail for that. You would be killed for that because he was declaring himself to be God. And he does his stuff. He looks at the religious leaders and backs them down over and over and over. A couple of times that I think it's really cool, and I would like to have been there to know exactly what happened. The scripture doesn't explain it exactly right. But it says a couple times they took Jesus to the top of a tall cliff to throw him off. And basically, it doesn't say that he said this out loud, but basically he said, no, not today, and gets down and walks away. Now, a mob is carrying you to throw you off a cliff. How do you just, he doesn't beat them up. He doesn't ninja everything. He just says, nope, and then turns around and walks through the crowd. I would like to have seen what happened there. We know when they came to get him in the, in the um, garden, and he was actually going to let them take him this time. This is, when, this is moments before they're crucifying. Come to the garden and get him, and they say, we're looking for Jesus. And when he says, it's me, what happens to him? They all fall down. Just the power of him saying, I'm him, knocks everybody to the ground completely flat. That's, that's a pretty bold amazing. And then he waits for them all to get up so they can tie his hands and take him. And that's where Peter reaches up and cuts off his ear, and he's like, oh, and he puts the ear back on. I mean, this is, a, this is a guy that could take care of this whole thing immediately, and he's letting them take him to the cross. There's a power with that. There's a, an authority with that. Now, I personally believe with all of this that's going on, I believe that, that some of those scriptures that we read, because I know a handful of them, I can show some of them to you, that are specifically about the time frame and the area that Jesus was in at the pool of Bethesda, I believe that Jesus healed everybody there that day too. I don't believe he walked up and healed just one person. I believe he walked up and healed all of them. Why? Because that's, that's what he did. There's only one place in the entire New Testament that we speak, see specifically that he did not heal everybody. You've heard me talk about this. Where is that place? Only one place that it specifically says he did not heal everybody. His hometown. Because they didn't believe. Because the, the scripture, the, he has, the prophet has no honor in his own country. That, that they're basically saying, he's basically saying, you couldn't see me as Jesus. You couldn't see me as the Messiah and the Christ because I grew up in this town. All you could see was Joseph's boy. Corey? Yeah, this is a very important thing with this too. This is, I, I put this now, you've heard me talk about a few of these examples over the years, but years ago I put an entire series together on all of the people in the New Testament that had no faith. The reason that I did this is I was, I had been a youth pastor at a, uh, at a very hyper-faith, uh, name it, claim it kind of church. It was very, very, very charismatic kind of church. And everything was about, you know, claiming it and all kinds. If you wanted to be rich, claim it. And all. I, I've mentioned this before. Some of you don't know who this is, but Creflo Dollar got his start under the pastor that I was at. Jesse Duplantis got his start under the pastor that I worked for at that time. Um, my pastor kept it within the, the healthy boundaries, but it, it, it took really weird trails sometimes in this church. And it got to the point where the, the basic theology was God always wants you to be wealthy, always wants you to be success, successful, and always wants you to be healthy. And so, therefore, even asking for healing was proof that you were not a person of faith. Because if you got sick, that means you were a sinner, and even asking for, for healing was, was proof that you were a bad guy, that you were a horrible sinner somewhere, which never reconciled with, with me with Scripture because James chapter 5 says, are there any sick among you? James is expecting that there is going to be. When Jesus says, um, you don't have because you don't ask, he's not saying, don't ask because you're way above that. He says, ask. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's constantly what we're seeing in the New Testament. And so when it got to this point where, where um, this was all uh, that had to be based upon your faith, this is one of the places that I went to. This man shows zero faith under any circumstance. None. Because here's the question that always happens when it comes to healing, okay? Is it, is it the faith of the person that's sick? Is it the faith of the person that's praying? Is it both their faith or is it none of their faith? 
Now, we do see where Scripture says that, that you have to have faith and that your faith can grow and that according to your faith, God will do things in your life. Okay, I'm not negating that, but I also can show you examples throughout the New Testament where they had no faith. And this is one of the guys. Jesus says, do you want to be well? And he gives all the excuses. And Jesus basically is like, okay, whatever, just, just stand up. It wasn't the guy's faith. He literally is almost interrupting him, saying, stop talking. I'm just going to heal you because I don't got all day to hear about why you can't be healed. I'm just going to heal you. And so he heals him. Then the guy runs off and doesn't even talk to Jesus. Reminds you of the 10 people, the 10 lepers that were healed? Remember the story of the 10 lepers? Jesus heals 10 lepers. And what is the rest of the story? They all took off. How many came back? Two came back and said, thanks, Jesus. Oh, was it one? I thought it was two. Okay, it was one. One of them comes back and says, thanks, Jesus, <laughs> which is really kind of interesting. But, but again, I think this goes back to the reason that one out of those ten came back to tell Jesus thank you is because they were so scared to death of the religious leadership that they immediately had to run to the religious leadership and then to their families or whatever, but they were scared to death to do exactly what they were supposed to do according to the religious structures, not according to the most amazing supernatural thing that was ever going to happen in their life. They immediately take off. I mean, a miracle, a supernatural, amazing miracle, and they all take off, and one guy's like, oh, wait, 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 Jesus thinks. You, you, you see how, 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 and I believe all of this can be attributed to the same thing, religious rules and structures and stuff like that that we build with this. So I, I know that there are, there are people that would literally use this particular set of scripture to say, Jesus only healed one guy. I don't think that's what happened here. Because we don't see any evidence of that anywhere else in scripture. You cannot find anywhere else in the New Testament where Jesus does a few basic things. Um, tells them no. He never tells anybody no. He never heals some people and doesn't heal others. It says over and over and over, he heals them all, he heals them all, he heals them all. That's why I believe that this is one of those things, too, where he heals them all. Because that's who he is. That's his nature. For him to have healed one guy and walked away would have been completely out of character for everything else that we see that he does in the entire New Testament. Right? Does he heal them because they have great faith? Maybe some of them. But this guy didn't have any faith. Can Jesus heal somebody with no faith? Yes. We see it all the time. What's another example? Think of another place in Scripture where they had no faith and God still did something supernatural. New Testament. Stay, stay with the New Testament. But I heard words. Paul win. He had no faith. Yeah, he even, he even almost like forced him to get saved there, although that's not really, you can't theologically go there. But, but that's almost what happened is, is he just... Saul is trying to attack his people and lights up the heavens, shows down on him, and has a big conversation with a guy that thinks he's not real. I love that. I, I heard a story years ago. Not a story. I actually heard this. I'm not saying it right. I heard the cassette tape of this happening. Okay? Um, I, this was literally 25 years ago, and, and uh, there was a uh, pastor at the time that had had um, throat surgery, and he couldn't talk. Okay, and um, he was Southern Baptist, so if you understand what that means, no healing. Okay, healing doesn't happen. They don't believe in healing. They don't believe that God does this. Maybe God could, but he just really doesn't. Don't ask. It's a waste of time. So, so he had throat surgery, and he couldn't. He was the pastor of a church. He couldn't um, preach and all that stuff. So then there was a different guy pastoring the church, and he had become um, like a teacher and some other things. And, and so they, they rigged a microphone up to set on his throat right here, wrapped around, and he would talk, and, and he would, you just barely hear him. I mean, in this tape, they have to turn it way up, and they're projecting into the room, and you could barely hear him, and he would, and he would just scratchy, scratchy talk. The, the day that the tape that I heard was, was, a, was one of his classes, and he's teaching in the class, and basically the class is about, I didn't get this at first. I, 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 this tape was going all over East Texas at the time, and I listened to the tape, and I was like, wow, that's amazing, that's amazing. And I listened to it three or four times. And one of the times I listened to it, about four or five times of listening to it, it dawned on me. I went back and listened not to the miracle that happens, but I listened to the lesson he was teaching. 
The lesson that he was teaching was, God does not heal today. Guess what happened while he's teaching this? His throat gets better and better, and he gets excited, and you can hear people starting to clap, and he starts talking. He stops teaching, and he starts talking about, I think my throat's getting better. I think then he starts thanking God and praising God, and the whole place, this is the son of the Baptist Sunday school class, breaks out and clapping and shouting. You can hear it all in the background of this because this guy just got healed right there while he's talking with the microphone about God not healing. I love that. God does stuff like that all the time. God's done stuff like that to me where I am so, I just don't know if you're big enough, God. I don't know. If you're, and if we're not careful, we do this with this story. We say, well, Jesus only healed one guy. And, and I just don't think that's what happened here. I think he healed everybody. He cleaned out the porches. And then we see him in the temple later where the guy comes up to him. Now, part of the reason that I say that is this is one of those, remember, when we started some of the stuff I've been talking about a few months ago, the main thing that I'm trying to get across to us is sometimes God has to change the way you look at something. Sometimes God has to change your worldview. To get you to where he wants you to be, sometimes he has to change your, your thought process. This is one of those. This story did this for me in two or three ways. One is, is what Corey was talking about. This guy had no faith, and Jesus still healed him. There had to have been. There had to have been other people on those porches that had more faith than this guy. Had to have been. When Jesus walked up, they immediately were like, is that that Jesus guy? I think I'd rather talk to him than jump in the pool. There had to have been people. Jesus said that by this time, Jesus was too well known. People knew him all over the place. In fact, if you think about all the scriptures that I just gave all of us, almost all of those scriptures happen before this story happens. About half of them happen before this story happens. Specifically, the ones in Matthew. Now, people know who Jesus is. Jesus picks the guy that's got all the excuses, all the reasons no, and has no faith whatsoever. Why do you think Jesus picks that guy? Exactly. I believe that. I believe that's the reason. Because here, here's the thing that I figured out. So, so again, we, we were part of this church. It was very, very uh, hyper faith. And there was a lot of good things. I don't want that to, to sound totally negative. There was a lot of healings that happened there. Um, hyper faith mentality really does um, develop good, for the most part, good healthy faith mentality. But it can also be taken too far where... Um, if anything bad's happening, you're a sinner and all this. That's where it got a little crazy, a little hokey. You understand what I'm saying? The idea that Jesus does want to heal, I believe that very strongly, that Jesus does want to do supernatural things in life, I believe that. that even he wants to bless us, I believe even that he wants to bless us financially. I believe that. But I think you can get that too, too far gone. That at the end of the day, that's not what Jesus died on the cross for. Okay, he didn't die on the cross so you can be wealthy. That's, that's sometimes what he does with us. But here's another one with that. I prayed this for years because I had a guy say this to me 20-something years ago, almost 30 years ago, and it, and it stuck in my head. This is my heartbeat. I pray, God, don't ever give me more than I can handle. Don't ever give me more than, than what my limitedness can deal with. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about all kinds of stuff. I've had too many friends that that bunch of success, bunch of finances, bunch of everything else, lose their family and their marriage, adultery, embezzlement. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I'm not saying that those are directly relational, but I think sometimes we can get so caught up in getting the stuff that we leave behind the Jesus that, that is the heartbeat of this. Jesus didn't die on the cross so he can have a nice car. He didn't. And we've got to be able to separate that too. I don't think Jesus has a hard time with you having a nice car either, by the way. I know in today's society, it's almost like the rich guy bad. That's a, scripture shows us over and over that God blesses. One of the, one of the wealth, well, two, two people in the Bible that were, that were known for being the wealthiest person in their entire area, Job and Solomon, and both of them were given that by God. So I, I think we, there has to be a balance with this. But I think we've got to make sure that when we're thinking about faith that we're really saying, Lord, this is about you. And I know for me sometimes 
sometimes I've had some very strong faith. I've had different seasons where I have very strong faith and then other seasons where it's not been so strong. And it's important for me that when I'm looking in the mirror and really trying to figure out who God is and what God's trying to do in my life and what it means to pray and seek God and, and healing and whatever the case is, sometimes it's important for me that I look at that man at the pool of Bethesda and say, Jesus, thank you for, for healing guys that have no faith. Because sometimes I feel like I got no faith. And Jesus, you still heal. You still do stuff. You still bless us. You still save us. You still do things. Even when we're kicking and screaming the whole way, you still do stuff. Another story that, that is lack of faith. In fact, this is the biggest one in my opinion. This is the most ironic one, really, I guess I would say. Um, this is the book of Acts. They're praying for, um, for um, Peter, who's in jail, right? They're all in the room together, and they're praying for Peter. And they're praying, God, to get him out of jail, you know, keep him safe. Whatever they're praying, I assume they're praying to get him out of jail because it says they gather together to pray for Peter, who was in jail. And so they're praying for Peter to get out of jail. God does this supernatural miracle, and Peter walks right out of jail. Right? Where does Peter go? He goes to the house where they're praying for him. Knocks on the door. What happens? A servant goes and answers the door, sees Peter standing there, left the prayer meeting about Peter to get out of jail, goes to the door, opens it, and Peter's like, and they slam the door and go back and tell everybody, I think that was Peter out there. And they say, no. They argue. It says they argue with this. I don't, that's not Peter. Let's pray for Peter. We're praying for Peter. That can't be Peter. Peter's standing at the door like, Hello. So he keeps knocking, and finally they go back and see that it's Peter, and they all get excited and rejoice because God answered their prayer. How much lack of faith do you have to have in a story? They couldn't even believe that what they were interceding about when they saw him in person actually happened. Right? Those are good times for me because I feel that way. I am that way sometimes. Now, sometimes I really believe I'm a person of faith. I, I just know that God's going to do this. I know that I know that I know. But sometimes, man, not so much. And, it, and it's encouraging to me when, when we see where Jesus heals people, sets them free, all kinds of stuff, and they didn't even necessarily have any faith or even necessarily wanted or understand it or any of those kind of things. And I think that it's both. I think, so whose faith is it? The person being healed? Sure. person doing the praying? Sure. Both of them? Yes. Neither one? Yes. Jesus? Always. And that's where I have to kind of keep bringing it to, that it's Jesus always. So on the mindset, a few things that, that kind of help us with this whole story. We've gone through the story. Now we're going to sum up the high points, okay? When Jesus said, would you like to get well, what should be our answer? Yes. What was his answer? Everything but that. All the reasons why not, why not, why not. Guys, we've got to fight against that. We've got to fight against that. When, when we see something in Scripture and we know that Jesus is wanting to do this in our life, let's stand on that and not give all the reasons why that can't happen for me. Or when somebody is telling you something, when somebody is saying something to you, all the reasons why that can't happen for me. I, I went over to uh, Harry Torres' house today, and I really had a great talk with Harry, and we were talking about, and he, and he just kept saying, I, I'm just, I just have to keep fighting this, I just have to keep fighting in prayer, or just keep fighting in prayer. For some of you that are newer, he had a stroke, and his whole left side of his body is still pretty messed up, and he keeps saying, but I'm, I just keep holding on. I keep, he said, I have to remind myself, and this was profound. He said, I have to remind myself, he said, and his hand's getting worse, looked to me like, but some things are going better. But he said, I keep having to remind myself that the doctor said this should have killed me. The doctor said that I shouldn't have any control in my right side as well as my left, and he has good, solid control and strength in his right side. In fact, the doctor told him, the fact that you, your right side can help stabilize and hold you up and help you walk uh, in, in opposition to your left side, he said, is an amazing thing. He said, you shouldn't, that shouldn't be. With this kind of stroke and the other things that he's had happen, he said, it shouldn't be. And he said, so rather than just look at this one hand that can't work, he said, I've got to keep reminding myself, this is what God has done, and keep fighting that out in prayer. And keep finding, I thought, Harry, that's faith. That's as faith as strong as I've seen. Just keep finding that out. 
Just keep doing that. When Jesus says, do you want to get well, don't give the reasons why. It can't happen. Just say yes. For anything in our life, just say yes. The second part is it doesn't take faith sometimes. Don't let that be an excuse. You should always be trying to build your faith. Always. Because stronger faith, according to Scripture, stronger faith does accomplish more things. Okay? I'm not trying to disagree with that by saying some of the stuff I've said. Stronger faith accomplishes more things. Build your faith. Spend time praying. That's what last week and this week is about, about praying and fasting. Spend time talking to God. Get in with Him and, and let Him build your faith with this. The other thing that I think jumps out at me with this is that, that sometimes the church can come up with so many goofy rules that keep us away from God. Just get in with God. Don't let the, don't let the, the structures and the bureaucracies and the rules, even if it's something around here that we're doing that for you personally keeps you from, from getting in with God, push that away and fight through it. Sometimes it's a, it's a personal thing. It's not a corporate thing. But sometimes they're corporate things. We have, we have, we have structures and things that, that we do just like any other church. And sometimes if we're not careful, that can, that can um, hinder rather than help. And that's never our goal. Um, we're, we're constantly having these discussions about what can we do to make sure we're, we're letting people know who God is, taking off the, the, the shackles and saying, okay, what can we do here to, to release people to do that? So, and then the, the next part about this is to keep in mind that Jesus healed everybody. And I don't think this story disagrees with that. I just don't think when, when, um, when we're getting the writing of this, I don't think John was trying to prove that Jesus healed everybody. He was trying to prove something else. In fact, of all of the scriptures that you read, I, I think it was only one or two, none of them, none of them come out of John that say everyone. John doesn't include that anywhere in the mix. And part of the reason is that's not what John was trying to accomplish when John's writing. He doesn't ever mention that. doesn't ever use the term everyone or all or whatever. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Okay. It's the audience. Uh, with John, it's not necessarily the audience as much. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all written to specific audiences, okay? John is not written to a specific audience. It's written from a different mindset, all right? John's mindset starts off in John 1, 1, talking about the deity of the Word. He doesn't even call him Jesus. He calls him the Word. And he's, he's trying to transcend humanity and the understanding of humanity with the story trying to say this is God in human flesh. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he immediately gets to, and God um, became flesh and dwelt among us so we could see the glory of God. The Word became flesh so we could see the glory of God. He's transcending uh, normal storylines and, and um, audiences. He's not speaking to a specific audience. Same way when he writes the book of Revelation, he's not speaking to a specific audience. When he writes the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he's writing to a specific audience. But not when we see him write John and not when we see him write Revelation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written Matthew to Jewish, Mark to Jewish, but also specifically for the quickness of it, the, 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 the simplicity of the, the gospel. And then Luke written to a Greek audience, a Gentile audience. John's not doing that. John is transcending this and saying, let me show you God in human flesh. Let me show you, let me show you doing, him doing God things in human flesh. So sometimes the trail, and I believe this is one of the moments, the trail weaves through and leaves a lot of the details out because he's getting to, this is God walking among you. Do you see God? Not all the stuff, do you see God? He's not trying to convince Jews he's Jewish. Matthew is doing that. He's trying to convince the world, this is God. Get this, see this, understand this. Yeah. Anything, any questions, concerns? Stuff. Nothing. Alrighty. So then, with everything that we've looked at, everything that we've talked about, some just this week, but some if you've been here longer over the last uh, few weeks, quite a few weeks, um, putting all this together, what what do we, what do we pray? What is what's stirring your heart? How do you pray about this? What do you talk to God about with this? Don't put him in a box. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's almost impossible for us to do as human beings. We do have to have supernatural help with that. We've got to have God helping us not limit him because that's what we do. Humans do this. 
We're trained by the church to do it even. And we've got to not do that. So I think that's a good good starting point. Anything else? What What's moving in your heart? Yeah. He said, keep me out of the way. Not me personally. He wasn't dogging me. But, yeah, I think that's kind of the same. I think that's part of the same story, isn't it? I mean, the same request. It's kind of the same thing. If you're not going to put God in a box, somehow you've got to stop. You've got to stop being the person that puts him in the box, I guess. Yes, sir. He can still do more than you can ever ask or think. No matter where you are, he can always do more than you can ask or think. Yeah. How are you going to pray about that, Tom? That was a statement. That, that veered very closely to a, to a question. <laughs> it did, didn't it? So how are we going to pray? That's good. That's a good, um, that's a, that's a good assessment. So what do we, how do we pray about that? What do we do? Um, you know, one of the things that I think um, when, we're, when we're thinking this way and praying this way, one of the best ways to see God do miracles in our life, I know this sounds almost like circular reasoning, but just pray a lot. If you're not praying, you're getting exactly what you're asking for. If you're praying a lot and you get some of what you're asking for, let's say, I know this, this, I'm just making all this stuff up. Let's say you get 10% of everything you ask for. And you knew you were going to get 10% of everything you asked for. What would that make you do? Pray a whole lot. Because 10% of 10, 1. 10% of 100 is 10. You, you understand percentages. So you say, you say you pray a lot. And that's why Jesus said you don't have because you don't ask. One of the best ways to just say you potentially, I know this is weird circular reason, but potentially your odds just get better if you ask more. Ask more often. Ask with sincerity in your heart and talk to him about it. So pray. Just pray. Talk to God all the time. Anything else, Corey? Which is my desire for all of us with this. Yeah. And the, the, the fact that he's a counselor and a caretaker and, a, and uh, all the things that we don't process. The, um, the giving, the, the nurturing, all the things that he tries to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so part, 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 problem here is you're saying something that I've studied more than any other subject in the Bible is what you just said. I've only, I've only preached this here like in the first six months that I got here. I haven't talked about it since then. I don't preach it that often because it's a big, big subject. 
I was planning on shifting gears next week anyway. If you, how about I shift gears and I talk about what you just said, but it'll take me quite a few weeks to do that. Um, I, I stumbled across this when I was 21 years old. God showed me some words in Scripture, and I began to study those. And, um, and, it, and it took me down a trail that just blows my mind when you see stuff in Scripture. But I, cannot, I can't even go into one sentence tonight because it's too big. It's, I'm, not, I'm serious. You'll see that. Um, I'll give you a hint, though, because this is the part that I talked about right after I first got here. I just tested the waters to see if everybody here would, would go, oh, that's cool. And everybody just went, so I, didn't, I haven't gone back to it. I'm going to. Um, but you gotta you got to know some of the other stuff I've been talking about over the last five years and the importance of witnessing, the importance of really pushing this forward. But I'll give you the secret to all this that started me off. Go to John 3.16 and read John 3.16 and study John 3.16 because I can show you that what you think that Scripture says is not what it says. I can prove that it is not what it says, but I don't have time tonight. But that's where you'll start. John, the whole book of John does this, but John 3.16 is the culmination of it. And we always use it for a different, it's not a wrong purpose, but it's not what the scripture means. All right? So I'll start talking about that next week because we don't have time tonight. <laughs> and for me personally, this is some of, the, this is some of the, the coolest stuff in scripture, and this is some of the most mind-boggling stuff in scripture because we don't think about it. Remember, every now and then you guys will hear me talk about quantum theory, quantum physics, and things like that. That's what this is about, and the Bible is full of stuff like this. God is the great scientist that created everything. There's all kinds of stuff, and some of the stuff he tries to show us just goes right over our heads most of the time because we're too busy trying to see how it's just going to do this for me right now instead of seeing God's a pretty grand guy. He's a pretty majestic guy, and, uh, and I'll show you some of that. Tom, be careful. <laughs> Oh, without a doubt. That's why it starts off with, with the same terminology as Genesis 1. John 1 and Genesis 1 started. And John does that on purpose. He uses that. He ties those together on purpose there. But I'm not going to talk about any more about that tonight, Tom. I'm, I'm telling you guys, you want to you unpack some amazing stuff. I'll show you some stuff starting next week that... that it, when I sit and study it and think about it and read about it, it's just overwhelming to me how big it is and how big God is and how he shows us this stuff. We just don't see it. Just don't see it. So let's pray about all this. There's ways that we all said this. Um, and for me also, I, I, some of this here that I, I just want to be the guy that when, when Jesus says, would you like to get well, I'm adding my prayer to this. When Jesus says, would you like to get well, I just want to be the guy that says yes. And so many times over the years, I've not said yes. I've come up with all the reasons. I wanted to say yes. I knew that was the answer, but I had all these reasons. And I still do that. And I just want to say yes. I just want to say yes. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for you. Lord, we are overwhelmed by how, how big you are, Jesus, and how much you love us and and Lord, the dozens of scriptures that show us that you heal and that you heal everybody and that you do supernatural things. Lord, help us not to convince ourselves that you don't do stuff. Help us to look at your word and see that you do stuff. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you for including us in this and wrapping your arms around us and loving us and forgiving us, Jesus, and dying on the cross for us, all the things that you do. And Lord, just like that man at the pool, when you walk up to us, we want to we respond in the affirmative, that we know that you're God, we know that you're in charge, and that the answer is yes, I just, I just want what you want to do in my life, I just want your will. Lord, we, we, we plead your spirit and your blood over our lives and our minds. Get into our minds and change our thoughts. Change our thought process, Lord God, so that, so that we can really see and know you and not just the stuff that we that we that the church creates about you, but really you, Jesus. Help us to see past all that stuff. And God, help us to not put you in a box. 
Jesus, help us to, to not put you in a box and to not limit you to our own thinking. Lord, you are so big. Explode our hearts with how big you are tonight. In Jesus' name, we thank you so much.